Lead us not into temptation. Do not bring us to the test. Save us in the time of trial. <clears throat> All three are contemporary translations, or rather interpretations, of one of the four phrases in the prayer that Jesus taught us, in which we ask God, entreat God, for the things that we need the most, and deliver us from evil, from the tempter, the evil one, the adversary, the final phrase of entreaty. So it's Lent. And to begin Lent, we pick up Jesus' story from the point of his baptism and the announcement from heaven that Jesus is God's beloved son, the anointed, the one who is God with us and God for us, the one who brings our salvation to us, even in the midst of the woes, the tragedies, the joys, and the sufferings of the world. Jesus is baptized, his identity is proclaimed, and he goes out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and nights. Now, of course, the resonance with Israel's wandering in the desert here is strong and it is deliberate. Jesus, after all, points to the renewed Israel. And at the culmination of this desert experience, the devil comes to Jesus to tempt him. Jesus is at his most vulnerable since after his infancy. He's hungry, he's famished, he's tired, he's on his own. Perhaps he has spent the last 40 days in self-examination as well as fasting, as we are invited to do every Lent. And we know how grueling extended self-examination can be, even though we mostly don't manage it for 40 days. Perhaps he has spent the 40 days trying to understand, trying to grasp, to live into this proclamation that he is God's son, the beloved. And we know how hard it is to believe that we are God's beloved and to figure out what that means. And here comes Satan. Now in scripture often, Satan, the devil, the tempter, is known as the adversary, the interrogator, if you will, the prosecuting attorney, the one who tries to catch us up short, catch us out in our delusions, our pretensions, our denials, and our rationalizations. Consider God's servant Job, a righteous man whom the adver adversary tests to the utmost limits to see if Job will curse God, will turn on God for all that the adversary has done to him. The adversary is clever and insightful and in some ways charming and appealing and utterly ruthless. The serpent in the garden. His job is to exploit our human frailty and our pride and even our humility. 
And so he comes to Jesus, newly baptized, newly proclaimed as God's beloved, and the temptations, the trials, the testing that he brings to Jesus all have to do with what it means to be beloved of God. First, the adversary says, turn these stones into bread. You don't have to be hungry. You've got the power, so take care of yourself. Look to yourself. Claim that power given to you by God to make all things well, starting with yourself. Feed yourself, then you can go and feed everybody else. Think of those 5,000 you'll meet. Think of the suffering ones you can heal, the afflicted ones whose burdens you can relieve. After all, isn't that what God does? Isn't that who God is? And you are God's beloved son. But no, says Jesus, we don't live by bread alone. By bread, yes, but more fundamentally, by the workings of God, the good grace of God, by God's free gifts. Fine, says the adversary. Then take a look at all the kingdoms of the world, all the peoples and all the ways they live together and all the ways their lives are ordered and disordered and all who govern and hold authority over them to keep their lives as they are. If you'll worship me instead of God, says the adversary, I'll give them all to you to oversee, to govern right here, right now. Think of all the good you could do. You could end all the oppression, the degradation, the silencing, the dehumanization. Think of how grateful everyone would be. And you know you yearn with all your heart to free them from whatever burdens them. So just worship me and you can do it right here, right now. <clears throat> but no, says Jesus, I'm not here to rule but to serve and to serve the only one who is worthy of worship, not you. But the God who creates it all and loves it all and yearns for it all to be healed and whole and at peace. So, no. Okay then, says the adversary, you are so dedicated to being faithful to God. Why not find out if God is indeed faithful to you? Throw yourself off this cliff. If God is indeed faithful to you, if you are indeed God's beloved, God will save you from destruction. You believe in God, right? You're convinced God is with you, right? So just try it out. No harm in checking. Again, no, says Jesus, I will not tempt God. Now what does he mean, tempt God? To tempt God, to test God, is to attempt to put God in a real bind where there are two good things, two desirable and right things that contradict each other. Here, the adversary invites Jesus to put God in the bind between saving the beloved son 
and carrying out what God is already up to. So the adversary says to Jesus, make God choose. And in so doing, make yourself more important than anything else. Make yourself more focused than God is, more obviously and actively responsive than God is. But no, says Jesus, I am here to work along with God, to help, to serve, rather than to demand and manipulate. And so the story goes, the adversary retreats until a more opportune time. When he will come back and tempt Jesus again, when Jesus is even more vulnerable and when there is more at stake. So we'll meet the adversary again toward the end of Lent. But here in the desert, Jesus is tempted really and truly. This isn't some show. It's a real test to see what Jesus will make of being God's beloved son. There's a real set of choices here. And we can imagine just how difficult these choices are. Because after all, each temptation is an offer for Jesus to live into his divine calling and his divine identity. Each of these is a way of being God, which, after all, he is. But what Jesus chooses is a different way of being God than the one the adversary presents. A way not of power, but of love, not of might, but of mercy, not of sovereignty, but of service. As the proper preface for Lent says, Jesus was in every way tempted, tried, tested, as we are, really and truly, but he did not sin. He did not turn away from the one true God, and he did not turn away from who he was called and proclaimed to be, who he most truly was and is. Now, Lent gives us a chance and a framework to attend to what tempts us and why it is tempting. Lent gives us a chance and a framework for recognizing both our frailty and our cleverness, to acknowledge our desires and how easily they can lead us away from God, from each other, and from our own God-given and beloved selves. Especially during Lent, we are invited, encouraged, to face ourselves, to face the forms the adversary takes with us, and to turn from those to God, the God who always welcomes us even when we give in to temptation. Our temptations may not be exactly like Jesus's. No one has ever offered me all the kingdoms of the world, and it's just as well. But like Jesus' temptations, ours come to us from beyond ourselves in a real sense. They are outside us. They're suggestions, invitations, offers of things, of ways of being that we really, really want. They're attractive. They're appealing. They're often seductive. 
Like the serpent in the garden, they creep up on us. Ask the leading question. Suggest the easier way ahead that we hadn't necessarily thought of. But that external appeal is only part of it. The other part of temptation is within us. We are, after all, frail and fallible. We're vulnerable. All creatures are. We know that others can do things to us. All creatures do. It's what it means to be a creature. But we, we the human beings, are the creatures who know that we are frail and who also know that we could be otherwise. In fact, God promises us that we will be otherwise, though not just yet. And so temptations seem to give us a shortcut, a way to limit and even conquer our frailty, our vulnerability, and our susceptibility to others, right here, right now. Temptations seem to give us a way to overcome our present flawed humanity and be here, now, more of who God has created us to be and to become that without the help of God. After all, why bother God when we can do it ourselves? And then can't we be better at who God wants us to be? More loving, more genuinely helpful, more connected to God? Now I'm pretty well acquainted with the temptations that I face. I imagine you are too. And I'm pretty well acquainted with the temptations that I've given into. And I imagine you are too. And I'm pretty well acquainted with the ways I justify to myself having given in, in the ways that I hide from myself and certainly from others, I hope, that I've not just given in, but actually welcomed and embraced temptation. And I'm pretty sure I don't let myself be aware of plenty of other temptations and plenty of other ways I've embraced them. Each of those temptations, each of those moments and those habits where I embrace those temptations is also a turning away from God or putting distance between me and God. Each of those moments is also a turning away from other people and from the whole of creation. Again, a putting of distance between me and others. And at least at times, I deeply, deeply regret all of this. It breaks my heart. It undoes me. But the point of Lent, the point of the fasting and the self-examination is not just to make me, make us, aware of all the ways that we have given in to temptation or fallen short or put up barriers. The point of Lent isn't even just to make us feel guilty and regretful. The point of Lent isn't even just to help me become even more determined not to give in, not to rationalize, not to indulge in regret and despair. Each of these things is part of Lent, 
but because each of them leads me, leads us to the real point of Lent. The real point of Lent is to give us a chance to be even more aware of God's reaching out to and for us, for all of us, regardless. To be even more aware of the fact that we are beloved of God, always. And not because we are good, but because God is good, all the time, even though we are not. Even though the adversary is still out there, along with our inner desires to be more and other than we are. Even though all that continues and will do so unto our deaths. Lead us not into temptation, but we know temptation will come. It always does. And more often than we wish, we will give in to it. And yet, more often than that, more powerfully, more strongly, more assuredly, comes the love of God, the indefeasible desire of God for us, for us as we are in our frail, fallible, and all too often arrogant humanity. We are, even at our very worst, beloved of God, of the God who in various forms feeds us, of the God who in various ways gives us the ability and the desire to make God's beleaguered creation a more wholesome, welcoming, generous place for all, even for ourselves. The God who will in all times and in all places safeguard and uphold and embrace and enfold us. For we are indeed God's beloved. Because he is bound to me in love, God says through the psalmist, because he is bound to me in love, therefore will I deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I am with him in trouble. I will rescue him and bring him to honor. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Amen.